the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Jeremiah. They were tent-dwelling nomads without a real attachment to this world. And it's a picture for us. It's a reminder to us. We're only passing through, friends. We are not to get too attached to this world or seduced by it. We only are temporarily occupying it. We have temporary citizenship for a purpose, for a reason. Paul says in Philippians 3.20 that our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. In our world today, it's easy to get sidetracked by what we're told we should be worrying about, whether that's fortune, fame, or possessions. There are many things that we're told should be the focus of our life. In today's message, Pastor Gary wants you to know that if you want to experience a purpose-driven life beyond this dying earth, you need to give your life to Jesus. The things of this world are only temporary, and if you want to stake your claim in eternity, you need to let Jesus into your heart. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 35, as he begins his message, A Principled Life. Jeremiah 35, I'm going to read all of it, starting at verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord during the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. Go to the Rechabite family and invite them to come to one of the side rooms of the house of the Lord and give them wine to drink. So I went to get Jezaniah, son of Jeremiah, this is a different Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah and his brothers and all his sons, the whole family of the Rechabites. I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the room of the sons of Hanan, son of Igdalia, the man of God. It was next to the room of the officials, which was over that of Maseah, son of Shalom, the doorkeeper. And then I set bowls full of wine and some cups before the men of the Rechabite family and said to them, drink some wine. But they replied, we do not drink wine because our forefather, Jonadab, son of Rechab, gave us this command. Neither you nor your descendants must ever drink wine, and you must never build houses, sow seed, or plant vineyards. You must never have any of these things, but must always live in tents, and then you will live a long time in the land where you are nomads. We have obeyed everything our forefather Jonadab, son of Rechab, commanded us. Neither we nor our wives nor our sons and daughters have ever drunk wine or built houses to live in or had vineyards, fields, or crops. We have lived in tents and have fully obeyed everything our forefathers, Jonadab, commanded us. But when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, invaded this land, we said, 
Come, we must go to Jerusalem to escape the Babylonian and Aramean armies. And so we have remained in Jerusalem. And then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, go and tell the men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Will you not learn a lesson and obey my words, declares the Lord? Jonadab, son of Rechab, ordered his sons not to drink wine, and this command has been kept. To this day, they do not drink wine because they obey their forefathers' command. But I have spoken to you again and again, yet you have not obeyed me. Again and again, I sent all my servants, the prophets, to you. And they said, each of you must turn from your wicked ways and reform your actions. Do not follow other gods or serve them, and then you will live in the land I have given to you and your fathers. But you have not paid attention or listened to me. The descendants of Jonadab, son of Rechab, have carried out the command of their forefather, gave them, but these people have not obeyed me. Therefore, this is what the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Listen, I'm going to to bring on Judah and on everyone living in Jerusalem every disaster I pronounced against them. I spoke to them, but they did not listen. I called to them, but they did not answer. Then Jeremiah said to the family of the Rechabites, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. You have obeyed the command of your forefather Jonadab and have followed all his instructions and have done everything he ordered. And therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Jonadab, son of of Rechab, will never fail to have a man to serve me. I want to talk today about living a principled life in an unprincipled world. Well, probably if I asked for a show of hands, there would be little to no people here who would say, yeah, I've heard a sermon on the Rechabites before, but you're going to get that today. All of chapter 35, an entire entire chapter of Jeremiah, chapter 35, is devoted to this group of people known as the Rechabites. And so here's the framework for our teaching today. I'm going to break it down in in these ways. We're going to talk about who the Rechabites were. And by the way, some of your translations have an H after the C, Rechabites. Same, it's just a different uh, way of spelling the name. We're going to talk about who the Rechabites were. We're going to talk about what the Rechabites were known for, and then finally we're going to talk about how their story applies to our lives today. So let me start first place first, and let's talk about who the Rechabites were. We actually have very little information in the Bible about these people. In fact, the most information we have about them is what you just read with me here in Jeremiah chapter 35, and this is the last information we have about them in all of the Bible. But trying to piece together other little different references through the Old Testament, let me give you the backdrop of our story. The Rechabites are named after their ancestor, Rechab. It's not that difficult, friends. The Rechabites are descendants of a guy by the name of Rechab. That's the way they did it back in those days. The descendants of a person just got I-T-E-S after their name. So my kids are Garyites, all right? I don't know the name, you know, you just put I-T-E-S after your name. Those are who your kids are. I'm thankful that nobody here, I'm sure, is named Term. (laughs) Think about it. You'll get it on the way home. But anyway, the people here are Rechabites because they're named after a guy, one of their ancestors named Rechab. Now, the Bible tells us in 1 Chronicles 2, 55, that Rechab was a guy who was a descendant of a larger tribal group of people called the Kenites, K-E-N-I-T-E-S, the Kenites. And so whenever we talk about the Rechabites, we're also talking about the Kenites because Rechab was a part of the tribal group known as the Kenites. The Kenites were not Jewish. 
They were not Israeli. The Kenites, however, were longtime friends of the Israelites. They had long-standing good relationship with the Israelites. We see them throughout the Bible not only being friends of the Israelites, but actually assimilating into the Israelite clan and, and, and the, the Jewish people. They assimilate, they, they integrate with the people. They live among the Israelites. And so they're more than just allies. They actually have become, in some ways, like distant cousins who have assimilated into the Israelites themselves. King Saul, in 1 Samuel 15, 6, commends the Kenites, again, that's the larger tribal group that the Rechabites belong to, he commends the Kenites for being favorable towards the Hebrew slaves when the Hebrew slaves were making their exodus from Egypt up to the promised land. In fact, the Bible says in Judges chapter 1, 16, that the Kenites actually accompanied the Israelites into the promised land. That's how much they had assimilated with the Israelite people. And they settle with the Israelites and they live among them. And by the time we get to the period of the monarchy, during the period of the kings, which is the time that we're reading here, the tail end of the monarchy in the book of Jeremiah, the Rechabite people, the Kenites, are living in Judah, which is the southern province here that is now being besieged by the Babylonians. Some historians even believe that the Kenites, again, the Rechabites belong to the Kenites, were part of the temple servants mentioned in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, who were part of doing menial tasks to assist the Levites in the temple. That's how much they had become a part of the Israelite clan, that the Levites in the temple were responsible for the sacred duties alone, but that the Kenites and also another group called the Gibeonites had a role and responsibility in some of the menial tasks in the temple service. So that's a little bit about who they were. And the question becomes, how did they become so favorably disposed with the Israelites? And how, how is it that they became assimilated with the Israelites? And the answer to that question is, you got to go back to Moses. And what we find out in the Bible is that Moses's father-in-law was a Kenite. Moses married a Kenite girl who was from Midian. Her name was Zipporah. And thus, by virtue of the marriage of Moses with the Kenite, the Kenite people became closely aligned with and assimilated with the Israelites. Is everybody with me so far? So that's who the Rechabites were. Underneath a larger tribal group called the Kenites, very favorable, friendly, assimilated with the Israelites, were never at odds, were never at war. They were together, and we see them throughout Scripture in this uh, very close relationship. Now, what were the Rechabites known for? Well, the Rechabites were known for, first of all, as being metalsmiths. In fact, again, the larger group that they descend from, the Kenites, the Hebrew word, the root word for Kenite is a Hebrew word that means smith. If you are here today and your last name is Smith, you can probably trace your lineage to people who were metalsmiths or blacksmiths, people who worked with metal. That's the Kenites here. That's the Rechabites. They were metal workers from that root word Kenite, which means a smith. So that's a little bit about what they did, which meant that they also had an industrial um, value to the Israelites living among them, being metal workers. The other thing that the Rechabites were known for is being tent dwellers. We read that here in the text here in Jeremiah 35. These people lived in tents. 
They were nomads. They never built houses. They never planted vineyards. They never had crops. It was part of the way they lived as nomads. Now, that was due in large part to the fact that they just were not attached to geography. And, and, and because they didn't own land, they couldn't work the land. And so they were tent dwellers. They were nomads. And we'll talk about that a, a little bit later. And then the third thing that identifies them, they were metal workers, they were tent dwellers. And the third thing is that they adhered to a strict policy on the abstinence of alcohol. And we see that here in this chapter as well. Now, we don't know exactly why. All we know is that they trace it back to one of their ancestors, the son of Rechab, whose name was Jonadab, and that Jonadab just basically imposed this among his own people and said, you know, it's not good for us to drink wine, and he asked that every succeeding generation would avoid alcohol. And so they complied. They were compliant for centuries in this regard. It was probably something more uh, akin to a Nazarite vow. Those of you who understand a little bit about your Old Testament scriptures, you know that, that uh, and, and we see this reflected even in the New Testament too, sometimes Jews would take a voluntary Nazarite vow, and part of the Nazarite vow included the abstinence from anything of the grape or the vineyard, uh, including alcohol. And it was basically a statement that one did not want to be under the influence of anything other than God. And so it's probably something similar to that, where Jonadab, one of their ancestors here within the Rechabites, said, I don't want us to be drinking alcohol. And so nobody did. And they were faithful to that uh, throughout all the following generations. So this is who they are, and this is what they were known for. Uh, but before we talk about how their story applies to our lives today, I just want to kind of um, recap what's going on here in Jeremiah chapter 35. Since the Babylonians have been besieging Judah now for 20 years, Jerusalem has not yet fallen because we're reading here, this is during the reign of King Jehoiakim, okay? So still there's a king of, of Judah in place in Jerusalem. And since the Rechabites lived among the people of Judah, when the Babylonians are besieging Judah, the Rechabites are looking at their living conditions and they're realizing probably not the best to be living in tents while bombs are, well, they didn't have bombs, but you know, while, while warfare is going on around us, right? And so they realize this is not good shelter. So they roll up their tents and they go to the city of Jerusalem, which was a fortified city, still had not yet at this time been taken by Nebuchadnezzar. They knock on the door. They say, hey, listen, we've been good longtime friends. We're kind of kissing cousins. We like to find refuge here in the fortified city of Jerusalem. And the Israelites are like very accommodating. They're like, yes, of course, come in. And so the Rechabites come into Jerusalem. We find out there in verse 11 by their own testimony, this is why they're in Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar's besieging Judah. It's unsafe. It's warfare. We rolled up our tents. We sought shelter here within the fortified city of Jerusalem. That's why they're there. And so God tells Jeremiah... In the first two verses of this chapter, I want you to gather all the Rechabites together here in Jerusalem into one of the side rooms of the temple. Now, the temple had different side rooms, and typically it was for the Levites to have housing and also for there to be storage for the temple. So when the Rechabites are gathered by Jeremiah into one of the side rooms of the temple, it means there weren't that many of them. In fact, it tells us in verse 3 that Jeremiah invited a guy, one of the Rechabites, by the name of Jezaniah, his brother, and all their sons. 
So how many would that number? We have two brothers and we have their sons. Talking maybe a dozen people, maybe a little bit more, give or take. And, and so this group gathers in one of the side rooms here at the temple by instruction of the Lord. Jeremiah is faithful to put out the call. The Rechabites come. They gather together in this room. And then God makes a very unusual request. He tells Jeremiah to give them some wine. Now, I say that this is an unusual request because, as we've just read here in chapter 35, the Rechabites don't drink wine. They don't drink wine. And yet God is saying to Jeremiah, pull them all together, put them at a table, and put wine in front of them. All right? They don't drink wine. This is like putting a Coke in front of a Mormon. They don't do that. All right? And so this is what God is instructing. Now, a couple of things to clarify this scene here. First is this. Don't get sidetracked by the side issue. The issue here is not alcohol. And this is not going to be a sermon on alcohol, and some of you are relieved about that, I'm sure. (laughs) But, you know, don't look at this story and say, okay, well, the message is alcohol, the Rechabites didn't drink, and so we shouldn't. Well, if you share that conviction, then you shouldn't. But also don't read this and think, well... God served up a little Merlot to go, so we can too, you know? What's good enough for God, good enough for me. All right, red, red wine, make me feel so fine. I get it, Bob Marley, but listen to me. This is not about the subject of alcohol, not per se. This, this is just a, this is a side issue, but it's not the issue. The other thing I want to point out here in this story, because it looks a little unusual what God is doing here, he is not tempting the Rechabites. He's not tempting the Rechabites. How do we know? For two reasons. Number one, James 1 verse 13 tells us, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So God's not tempting them. Well, then what is this? Well, what we learn here is that God is not setting the Rechabites up for failure. God is setting them up for success. And by that, I mean, God knows their character and their principles. And he knows that they will refuse the wine. And so God is going to use the Rechabites as an example of principled people who live by their convictions, and it'll be a sharp contrast to the people of that day who had no regard for God or for God's commandments. So God is actually putting them in a position, not to tempt them, but to prove them, to show them faithful, to use them as an example, a good example, of people who will live by their principles in a very unprincipled world. And so let me recap the events here. Look again at your Bibles. Verse 5. This is Jeremiah. He says, Then I set before, then I set bowls full of wine and some cups before the men of the Rechabite family and said to them, Bottoms up. That's that's the modern translation. That's what he does. He says, drink some wine. He puts out some cups of wine. He puts out some wine glasses. He said, all right, guys, I know you've probably been wondering why I've gathered you here. I just want you to do a little wine sampling for me. Go ahead. Drink up. And they they look at him. They got that deer in the headlight look. And they're like, "Uh, excuse me, you you know about us. This is verse 6. They replied, we do not drink wine because our forefathers, Jonadab, our forefather, Jonadab, son of Rechab, gave us this command, neither you nor your descendants must ever drink wine. And then they, they just go on to kind of review their own history with Jeremiah. They restate their principles, and they politely refuse. So, no, we're, 
we're not going to drink this. And so God commends them in this story as people of principle who obeyed the commands of their forefather at a time when God's own people were not obeying the commands of their heavenly father. You see what's going on here? God is intentionally using them as a good example. He's using the Rechabites who were people of principle. They were like, okay, we're, we're obeying the command of our forefather. We're not drinking wine here today. And we never have and we never will. And God is saying to the people of Judah, do you see these people? You see these people? You could avoid the Babylonian onslaught if you would obey my commands the way that they're obeying the command of their forefathers not to drink wine. But because the people of God refused, because they rebelled against God, because they rejected the commands of God, they're going to suffer the consequences for it. And so God is actually using the Rechabites like a mirror for for his own people. Say, I want you to look at them. I want you to realize how it's possible in your day to be living with principle while everybody else is not. To be people who honor God with conviction and and who stand for for what you know is right and and honorable and good and true. And God uses the Rechabites as a model example in this regard. Look, Look further here in verse 12. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, go and tell the men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem, will you not learn a lesson and obey my words, declares the Lord? Jonadab, son of Rechab, ordered his sons not to drink wine, and this command has been kept. To this day, they do not drink wine because they obey their forefathers' command, but I have spoken to you again and again, yet you have not obeyed me. And so God goes on to talk about how the, the Rechabites are a good example of people who were principled in a very unprincipled world. And here's how their story applies to our lives. Three, three simple points. The first one, when we look at, at what they're known for, the first one that applies to us is this. They were tent-dwelling nomads without a real attachment to this world. And it's a picture for us. It's a reminder to us. We're only passing through, friends. We are not to get too attached to this world or seduced by it. We only are temporarily occupying it. We have temporary citizenship for a purpose, for a reason. Paul says in Philippians 3.20 that our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter would say to us in his epistle, 1 Peter 1.17, that we should live our lives as strangers here in reverent fear. The fear of God. And Peter adds in 1 Peter 2.11, we are aliens and strangers in the world, and we should abstain from sinful desires which war against our souls. So because we're aliens and strangers in this world, because we're only passing through, because our ultimate citizenship is in heaven, and we await a Savior from there, and that's going to be our ultimate reward, we will at times feel strangely out of place in this world. And for good reason. We are aliens and strangers. There's a reason we don't always feel like we fit in. There's a reason why you will feel like odd man out at the Christmas party. There's a reason that you're going to constantly feel like, man, you know, why is, why is it such a, a struggle at times? You know, the values that I stand for and, and the standards of God's word, such, such conflict with the world. It, it's because we're not meant to be here forever. 
We're passing through. Our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. However, there's a reason why we are here. And the whole life of a Christian can be summarized in three terms. Here they are. Occupy, influence, and evangelize. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the book of Jeremiah. Known as the weeping prophet, he was only 20 years old when he began his prophetic life. Though not specifically mentioned, it is believed he would have followed the life of a pastor. And because of his young age, he was not always well received. No doubt this influenced his writings. And because of their heavy and often negative tone, he earned his title as the weeping prophet. However, this did not stop him, and he went on to prophesy the many truths that the people of Jerusalem needed to hear. Did you know that getting together as a church family is one way that you can hear truth from one another? Cornerstone Chapel gets together each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m., and Wednesday at 7 p.m. to learn from the Word and spend time in worship as sons and daughters of the King. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We also encourage and believe in the power of praying together and for one another. Email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net with your prayer needs today. Thanks for listening to The Weeping Prophet, Jeremiah, today on Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.